Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New England Patriots. This is the Patriots Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Patriots Wire editor, Henry McKenna. Welcome into the program. Just a quick uh, note that you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please look us up and hit the subscribe button. We appreciate you. Henry, we've been looking for that signature win, right? You weren't impressed last week about the uh, about that Jets win when they scored 54 points, but you got to be impressed with this one over the Chargers, right? Come on. They Okay, they impressed me. That, I will give them that. You're a big man. But, and... <laughs> And I was, and I, and I promised that I would be singing a different tune about this team this week if the Patriots beat the Chargers. So I, I have a different opinion of this team. I think uh, much more highly of them. I do think, and I promise I'll make it a more optimistic view. But I do think that there's a massive amount of room for improvement, and and that the and that the Patriots actually didn't play that game very well. So. On the upside, they won, and there's space for them to continue to get better. On the downside, I was kind of surprised at how poorly they played in retrospect, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. So, yeah, so I don't know. I, that, that was kind of my, my like, bird's-eye view of, of the, the Week 8 win over the Chargers. I mean, it was far from perfect. They left a lot of points on the field. And there's no doubt about it, but... Like you're saying, like you got to give them credit because they played a team with a good pass rush and an elite quarterback. My main takeaway, Henry, coming off of this is that Matthew Judon is the Patriots' best player by far, and he just continues to dominate. And you know, how did they? You could probably tell me the X's and O's a little bit better, but just watching the game, they were lining Judon up, and I think he probably rushes off the right side a lot, right? But he's working against that Chargers right tackle, number seventy-four. And number 74 there was uh, uh, overmatched. And it was just like Judon rushing off that right side right into Herbert's face, like right into his eyes. And uh, Herbert just had to sit there, drop back, and watch Judon coming at him all game long. And it sped him up. And uh, I thought Judon was kind of the key to the defense. I know Adrian Phillips had a great game as well. But, man, Judon dominating 10 pressures, 2 sacks, 8 hurries. The dude's on fire, and he was like the centerpiece of their game plan on defense, right? If it's not for Matthew Judon, we're probably singing a completely different tune here on the show. He, yeah, I, I mean, I can't really, there's nothing I can argue with there. I mean, it's like, <laughs> that's good. He's, yeah. he's clearly, he's clearly their best defensive player on a week to week basis. You could argue, obviously that Adrian Phillips was the better player on Sunday because of the production that he had two interceptions and a touchdown. Matthew Judon, he, he's like that one signing that, has made perfect sense from this offseason draft or free agency class. Like there were so many big money deals thrown around. And the only one that's actually been like a no brainer, great deal is Judon. And I think that's a testament to um, how well he's fit in. And it's just been seamless as he transitions uh, into New England's defense, instantly becoming one of their best players. The one thing I will say about the Patriots pass rush, actually Christian Barmore, He's really rounded out his game, I'd say. I mean, half sack against the Chargers, um, but he is becoming a, a disruptive presence in the interior, and he's only going to make Matthew Judon better if 
defenses are going to start double teaming him and he's going to split the double team draw a holding call and get a half sack i mean that was that was what actually happened the the patriots defensive line is shaping up and and if like josh uche for example starts to develop and produce at a sort of higher clip because he's been fine you know he's he had two total pressures last week generally week to week has been effective but like he's not getting a huge playing time total and honestly he's just not put up as many sacks as i thought he would so i think there's room for more improvement there but like already looks like a pretty impressive group at least in the pass rush now like i mentioned devon godshaw and the and lawrence guy are not necessarily playing amazing in terms of run defense no one on the patriots defense has been awesome in run defense but um yeah impressive stuff from judon and company in the pass rush you know the defense wasn't perfect either in this game they on those two early touchdown drives they gave up these huge chunk plays, right? And it's like, man, is what kind of game is this going to be? Uh, but they did settle down, and uh, they were just they were money on third down, right? They got the Chargers in in twelve third down situations, and the Chargers only converted four of those twelve. So the Pats were great on third down, but you know everyone's kind of talking about how this is Mac Jones's worst game, right? I guess you could look at the numbers: eighteen or thirty-five passing, exactly the same as Herbert. Actually, if you look at the box score, they had the exact same completions and pass attempts in this game. I don't know. When I watched the game live well, on TV with all the freaking trick-or-treaters interrupting me the whole time, Henry, you know, where I lived, it was, it was Halloween night and the trick-or-treaters were coming throughout the game. So I'm throwing candy at the kids while I'm watching the game. Uh, <laughs> but I thought I didn't come across, you know, I know it wasn't like the same precision that we're used to seeing with Mac Jones and he overthrew some guys and stuff like that. But I didn't come across being like, man, we won that despite our crappy quarterback in this game. Like I, I didn't come across thinking that. I was actually more annoyed with Josh McDaniels than I was Mac Jones, but but what do you think about that? There's a lot of commentary right now this week about how Jones had a you know kind of his worst game. Yeah, I mean he didn't even do that much on the on the Patriots' final offensive drive where where the where the Patriots were just like sliding like they were in the World Series. <laughs> that, was, um, that was crazy. It was crazy. That was hilarious. I I think like that drive kind of got lost in the drama of the of the game. But it was very impressive by New England. I mean, they were just like, they were just getting exactly the amount of yardage they needed. And that was it. And that was it. Like, just let the clock run. Yeah. They chewed seven minutes. I mean, it was a wild drive. It very. Just, it just made you feel like they're dialed in and they're taking the coaching. And it's all kind of, yeah. everything's kind of coming together with the coaching. You just kind of feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And just juxtapose that to like what was happening in the second quarter where everything felt out of control. Like, it was bizarre. I've, I've not seen that offense look so frantic or frazzled this year. And I think that's maybe why people feel like this was such a bad performance from Mac Jones. Like, he's just, like, firing the ball downfield. Like, the offense isn't calling timeouts in between plays, even though they should have at the end of the, the second quarter when they were running out of time. Um, but apparently, like, I'm thinking of that deep shot to Aguilar. It seemed like McDaniels wanted to run a play and then run another play to get that shot for Nelson Aguilar. And that was actually a pretty decent look because Aguilar was open. It just ignores the fact that Mac Jones is still the quarterback for New England and he doesn't have the chops throwing a deep ball in between a cornerback and a safety, and it wasn't a good pass. Nor was it honestly a good play call because while the receiver was open, the quarterback probably can't make that throw like, 50% of the time. And that's kind of what you need if you're going to take that shot. So 
Um, didn't like that call in particular. And it was sort of like emblematic of that whole first half where the Patriots, in my mind, they're trying to speed up Mac Jones's development. You know, they've done it a few times in the, in these games. And then when it becomes evident he's struggling, they, they peel it back. They're like, all right, all right, Mac, that was good. That was good. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> yeah. We're going to let Damian Harris run, run this one, uh, to victory from here on out. And, and sometimes it's a little too late on that decision where they, where they give Mac a chance to develop in game and it's not quite working. And so they have to go to something else or make his throws safer. So this, that, this was one of those weeks where like the first half, it was just such a weird, uneven performance for Mac Jones. You know, he had a good first drive, but then he, you know, from late first in the second and third quarters, he was making 25% of his passes basically. And um, this is a guy that only that like going into the game missed 25% of his passes. Like he was, he's basically a 75% completion rate, not good play calling from McDaniels pushing Mac Jones into the discomfort zone where he's not really ready to do this stuff. And it's good. Like, I think it's a double-edged sword. Like, I think it's good that they came away with the win and they're trying to get Jones going, doing different stuff for the offense. But they have to be careful not to push him to do too much and for too long because if if they are working on development in-game, then they're risking what happened in this game, which is the Patriots probably should beat the Chargers by like 20, I mean, not 20, but like 14 points. And, and they barely won by three. This was a this was a game that was like the Patriots separated themselves much more than than the scoreline represented, and I think a part of that was they got a little too committed to like de- in-game development of Jones, and and it kind of bit them, and and nearly honestly cost them the game. Uh, but ultimately, Adrian Phillips was the the deciding factor. Fascinating game. We'll continue to break it down, and uh, also the trade deadline came and went. Henry had a great article on Pat's Wire about Belichick and how he needed to capitalize on the trade deadline. But Bill decided to stand pat. Let's talk about that coming up next. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about strong plays for Week 9 of the fantasy football season. We're back to four teams on a bye, so we might have to dig a little deeper than usual. Quarterback Tua Tonga-Vailoa versus the Houston Texans. Houston is tied for the fifth most fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks in 2021. Six passers have gone for at least 21.7 fantasy points, including Trevor Lawrence, Baker Mayfield, and Sam Darnold. Not exactly world beaters. Tua can play loose knowing he doesn't have to worry about the Deshaun Watson trade looming over. Wide receiver Devontae Parker came back and looked pretty good, and with a limited pass rush, there's also another thing he doesn't have to worry about. He makes for a sound bye week or injury fill-in. New York Giants running back Devontae Booker versus the Las Vegas Raiders. Presuming Saquon Barkley doesn't return as he's still dealing with an ankle injury and also landed on the COVID list this week, Booker will face his former employer in week 9. The Raiders return from their bye week with a defense that has given up the 6th most rushing yards per game in the last 5 weeks, and 3 times in those 4 previous games, a running back went into the end zone with the ball in his hands. Toss in a pair of receiving scores, and we're looking at a slightly better than favorable matchup scenario for the versatile Booker. The six-year veteran has produced double-digit PPR points in four straight contests. Lock him in as long as Barkley is out. Wide receiver Jarvis Landry, Cleveland Browns at Cincinnati Bengals. Head coach Kevin Stefanski said Odell Beckham Jr. ostensibly has been kicked off the team, which makes Landry the de facto number one receiver. In a way, he kind of was already. 
he and quarterback Baker Mayfield always had better chemistry than Mayfield did with OBJ. Since week three, wide receivers have recorded the fifth most receptions for the ninth most yards per game against the Bengals. Over the course of 2021, in eight games, a dozen receivers have at least five catches to their name, and a matching 12 wideouts have 10-plus PPR points against his defense, and only five of those guys have found the end zone. Landry should be a PPR monster in this one. Tight end Jared Cook at Philadelphia Eagles. Quarterback Justin Herbert has two great wide receivers and an awesome pass-catching running back at his disposal, making Cook hard to count on on a weekly basis in fantasy football. Both of his receiving touchdowns this year have come in the last four weeks, which is a plus. In the last five weeks, the Eagles have given up more volume than all but three teams, and one in nine receptions has found the end zone. That's the 11th highest rate. Anyone playing Cook should be hoping for a touchdown, and four times in the last five games against this defense, a tight end has done just that. For more fantasy football news and advice, please check out the award-winning content at thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Henry. Belichick stands pat at the trade deadline. Uh, We could go two ways with this, right? We could either be very upset with this decision or we could just be happy that Belichick didn't trade a second rounder for Mohamed Sanu, right? Like, so we could look at this a couple different ways. Uh, but you wrote on Pat's Wire that Belichick needed to capitalize on this trade deadline like he's done in the past, give his team another piece to give it, get it over the hump. But he stands pat, and actually, after you reflected on it, you're kind of okay with this decision, right? Like, why don't you talk about it? Yeah, so I, I wrote about why the Patriots should really be trying to move someone, move for someone. Because in the past, Belichick's done such a good job of acquiring players. And I made the point that recently, the Patriots have struggled both in trade acquisitions and in the draft. But all of a sudden, we've seen Belichick do a better job in the draft. Mac Jones, Christian Barmore, even Ramondre Stevenson having like a pretty good rookie year. Give it to him, yep. So it's like, okay, if Belichick's, his college scouting game is back in form, maybe we can get that pro scouting game back in form too. Maybe he spins, you know, one of those little trades that ultimately makes a big impact. I think what ultimately happened around the NFL is that like nobody really wanted to move anybody. Yeah. It seemed like there was just a general lack of activity. Same as every year. The players it did, always happens. Yeah. Right. A little bit anticlimax. The players that did move, it was like Vaughn Miller, Melvin Ingram. I don't think the Patriots were like legitimate suitors for those moves. I kind of liked the Vaughn Miller trade from LA. It'll be mostly because Denver's paying like his entire salary this year, yep. but the draft capital involved with acquiring him is probably a little too rich for a Patriots team that like thinks they can make the playoffs, but probably isn't thinking they're going to win the Super Bowl for a rental, so, too, right? You see that in hockey for a rental, a half a right. year rental. You don't see that in the NFL. Too, yeah. So that, that's a different kind of situation. Yeah, that's big for just, a you know, nine to if you're lucky, 12 game rental to get you into the Super Bowl and win. And the Rams could do exactly that. So I guess I get why they're doing it, but why the Patriots would do it now. So, yeah, this all comes back around to, I thought, you know, good opportunity for Belichick to see what's out there. But but you don't want to do what he did with Mohamed Sanu, 
where he's really forcing a square peg into a cir- you know a circular hole. Although even Mohamed Sanu did look like a pretty good uh, signing, but until he hurt his ankle, and then he, you know he was never the same. But but yeah, I, I don't think they needed to force it. And ultimately, when I saw they didn't make a trade, you know I'm not like a in, in built we trust kind of guy. I'm uh, not like that fanboy, but I did trust that Belichick and his scouting staff did the due diligence to look for options and probably didn't find anything that they thought would be like an advantageous trade. So, I mean, in that respect, I think I'll trust their staff, which historically does a good job to have done the due diligence. And then like, ultimately the reason why they probably didn't feel like they needed to add another body is they've added so many important players over the last eight months. Like their free agent class was huge. Their draft class was top heavy and players that are, that are playing often this year. So they have all these players that are just kind of getting their feet wet in the Patriots system. Just about, what is it, eight games? So considering all of those, that like new influx of talent, the Patriots have plenty of their play on their plate from like a coaching standpoint to bring these players, you know, still up to speed. Hunter Henry's really barely reaching his potential. I mean, he's like, it's been a nice narrative with all the touchdowns he's caught in a row, but he only caught one pass last week. Johnny Smith is only catching the ball when the Patriots are force-feeding him. Devon Godshaw has not substantially improved the Patriots' run defense. And Nelson Aguilar is really not doing that great of a job being productive. I, even Kendrick Bourne got benched for fumbling last week. And so he had been kind of their most consistent receiver prior to that. There's there's sort of this mishmash of lack of success and success among these new acquisitions. And Mac Jones and Christian Barmore, like I was referring to, have plenty of upside. So I get why it would have been great to add another player in theory, but in theory is is way is like a really nice thing to think about. But you never know like who's actually on the market and what the values are. Patriots probably like didn't want to force anything. They go back to their roster. They see how much room for improvement there is. And they feel pretty good about how much better they can get over the next like eight or nine games. And I think they can get substantially better, as I've been alluding to, where like they just beat a pretty good Chargers team. And I think they they really didn't they might not have even played their best game yet. Like that, like that game, like they probably played the the Buccaneers better than they played the Chargers, you know? Agreed. And, yep. and they lost. So yep. and Mac Jones kind of alluded to that. He was like, we didn't play very well, but we won. So that's good. But <laughs> maybe we should like play well and win. Yeah. So I'm yeah, exactly. I'm looking forward to seeing if the Patriots can do that this year. Well, Belichick keeps telling us that, you know, that they don't lack confidence. So maybe he's just kind of telling us that he's confident in the pieces that he has. And that includes not having Stephon Gilmore, right? So I think, yeah, we say that they stood pat at the trade deadline. Technically, they did, but they did trade Stephon Gilmore a couple weeks ago to the Panthers for only a six-round pick. I've been complaining about this every single week, Henry, but the, I don't know. There's not haven't been a lot of reports. Not like Belichick's sharing a bunch of information on Stephon Gilmore and his thinking there, but you had to think that to sell him off for a six-round pick, they probably thought he didn't have a lot of football in him this year. Well, it turns out Gilmore's healthy, and he played for the Panthers last week against the Falcons, and the Panthers have him out there against Kyle Pitts. And oh, by the way, Gilmore uh, gets the game ceiling interception at the end. <laughs> so he had a pretty good debut for the Panthers, and they won that game last week. And now you got to play him this week. The Patriots are playing the Panthers and Stephon Gilmore. That's pretty good defense. The Pats are going to be going up against. So while the Patriots do stand pat, 
I still look at this and be like, uh, maybe we still took an L at the trade deadline, technically, because you could have shopped it. You could have shopped it. You could have shopped Stephon Gilmore for something better. The Packers had interest. I still think the Cowboys would have been the perfect destination for Stephon Gilmore. Put him opposite Trayvon Diggs, and that Cowboys defense is like transformed. This is like sick. I would have, you know, that would have been amazing to see. And, and it's an NFC team, just like the Panthers are. But no, they had to like get rid of Gilmore really fast that, that random day where we found out he's about to be released. Okay, we're going to trade him. Okay, we got to trade him right now. Like, why couldn't they just hold on to him until the deadline and shop him like everybody else does and try to get the best compensation? Ah, it's just kind of really frustrating. I'm still not over that, Henry. I'm still not over it at all. I'm still mad about the Gilmore trade. And now we got to face him this week. Like, I'm just kind of annoyed by the whole thing. I mean, I was, I was with you. Yeah, I could I could feel the, the heat rising. Yeah. Um, I'm not over. I mean, it. I was with I can't you. Take this. There's there's no excuse for what happened with him and how things ended. Like there there really isn't. He he's they want they were doing this thing where they wanted to get him back on the field before they decided anything about his contract. But he obviously was sort of holding in and didn't want to get back on the field until they did something about his contract. And so it was this power standoff. And nothing more and nothing less. And Bill Belichick wanted to assert his authority and did what he sometimes does when he's impatient with a player. He just deals them as a power move unexpectedly to a team for a blow market deal. In this case, Belichick wasn't like wasn't like a middle fingers up thing, kind of like when he shipped off Jamie Collins to Cleveland because Gilmore's from um, South Carolina. So. Yep. For him to play for Carolina, I think he's probably like happy that he ended up there. And I think Belichick likes Stefan Gilmore, but disliked the contract standoff and was just done with it. But yeah, that impatience, that insistence upon sort of like an authoritarian regime in New England and Belichick always having the upper hand in contract negotiations, that cost the Patriots draft assets ultimately. You know, I think Belichick probably thinks, oh, well, it's for the greater good because like, I've maintained my cultural consistency where you don't have any power here. I do. That players really just have to bow to my will. That's what he thinks in my mind where, yeah. where you know, I sacrificed, went from getting like a third or fourth round pick to a sixth. To That's worth it for whatever reason. I'm happy on one side that Belichick feels like he's got the pieces he needs to to make a run. I think he's confident in the pieces he has. But I still think you take an L for Stefan Gilmore. There's just no, with him being back playing football at a at a high level again. There's just no justifying that, as you said, Henry. As and as I continue to say, and just beat the dead horse. So, uh, uh, coming up next, let's get into this uh, matchup with the Panthers a little bit deeper. The Patriots are favored on Tipico. We'll talk about by how much and make a pick against the spread right after this. This is the Tipico Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bet Slippin' Podcast presented by SportsbookWire.com. I'm here with my handicapping homie Nathan Beagle to break down this week's Sunday night football game with the Tennessee Titans visiting the Los Angeles Rams. Our friends at Typico Sportsbook have the Rams' favorite 7.5. The money lines are Titans plus 280, Rams minus 370 for an outright win. The total is 53.5. 
I'm on the over 53 and a half here because there's more money back in the over, whereas more of the public is back in the under. Also, we have some over-friendly trends for the Titans. They're 8-2 to the over-under in 10 primetime games since 2018. They're also 19-11 to the over-under on the road since then, and 17-12 and towards the over-under as an underdog since 2018. Nate, how do you see the Sunday Night Football game playing out? I'm going with the under. The Rams are number five in QBR and lead the league in sacks. There's going to be no Derrick Henry for the second time in four years. Uh, that's where we're at. I think all that's going to cause the under to hit. That was your typical Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See Tipico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. Okay, Henry, we don't know Sam Darnold's status for this game because he's in the concussion protocol. Took a really nasty hit on a scramble against the Falcons last week. And uh, Christian McCaffrey, as all fantasy football players who drafted him know, uh, has been hurt like he usually is, and uh, is still on the IR list, I believe, but he's been designated to return, and we just got to wait to see if he's activated. So that seems iffy, but we could see Christian McCaffrey back. Question is, is it going to be Sam Darnold? Is it going to be P.J. Walker? But for me, it's like, even if Darnold is clear, like, how do you feel about him going up against Bill Belichick again, fresh off a concussion, right? Like, I don't know. Like, he might be seeing more than ghosts in this game. I, I don't know. I kind of I kind of think the Patriots have something going. They got some momentum. And this Panthers team is one of those kind of good, not great kind of teams. I like the Carolina defense. They do worry me a little bit. But I think this could be a game that Belichick could scheme some stuff up. And if Sam Darnold does return, could make it a long day for for that quarterback once again. But what's your leadoff take on this matchup with the Panthers? Yeah, I think you made the points that are important. Thank you. Quarterback situation. (laughs) Uh Quarterback situation is a mess there, and it's so messy that it it prohibits pretty much anyone from picking them to win a game like this one. Right. Or the Patriots are just sort of like they're not like steady Eddie, but they are. I would say they're like you know the one thing that they are is like pretty even. You know, like they're not turnover. They're not going to turn over crazy amounts of balls on offense. Not not anymore. Now, you know, they've put the fumbling thing behind them a little bit. Obviously, Kendrick Bourne fumbled last week. But their running backs are more consistent. Mac Jones is not really turning the ball over a ton. So I think, like, when when the opposing quarterback is as inconsistent as, you know, either one of these guys are likely to be, the Patriots are going to have a massive edge in this game. So that's that's number one is 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 quarterback decision-making. So then it's like, how good can Carolina's defense be to keep them in the game? Which, you know, I don't think they can be like, if, I, like even if the Patriots can only put up like, you know, 17 points or something, I still think they probably win the game. Yeah, um, yep, I agree. So that's all they need. And, and I think they can do that. Um, Carolina's really fast. They will probably render like the Patriots screen game, which they didn't actually even use that much against the Chargers. But. Uh, and that's because they didn't have to. Like, they could just run the ball against the Chargers because the screen game off, often is sort of like manufacturing a run game when there is no run game or, or when you need a complement to the run game. 
but the Patriots didn't need a compliment. All they needed was to run the ball between the tackles because that's where they were winning. And so against a team like Carolina, which is going to have a better run defense, maybe you would want to go to a screen game in order to have a way to get the, the pass rush a little off balance, to get to get the run game a little bit of like relief. But no, I don't think they're, the, the Patriots are going to be able to get that going which might, you know, have sort of like a chain reaction throughout the offense because creating a complement to the run offense isn't actually the only thing that the screen game does. It's supposed to disarm the pass rush too, where the pass rush thinks it, it can get a free shot at the quarterback, but really the, the quarterback's actually like luring the pass rush into the deep into the backfield so they can't make a play on the screen game and the running back can run free with blockers out in front of him. So if if the run game is having issues and then the screen game is having issues, then the pass rush gets a free look at Mac Jones. And that's when Mac Jones is at his worst. I just think like ultimately, you know, they're efficient enough of a team and, and they're going to probably win this game comfortably. Yeah, I got you, too. I, I love the Patriots. They're minus three and a half on Tipico right now. And that line could move if Darnold is ruled out because, like I said, P.J. Walker, who the hell's that? He's an undrafted 26 year old at a temple. And he's the backup for Carolina. He's actually and played. he played in the XFL. Don't forget. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, he played in the XFL. Yeah, he was an XFL stud. He was. He was the. He was like the best quarterback in the XFL. I totally. For, I, I don't think I was paying attention, Henry. So thank you. I thank God I have you to to let me know what's going on. Now. <laughs> I know he's played in a few games this year because Darnold, Darnold got benched in one game and Walker came in and then he had to play a little bit in that Falcons game too when Darnold got knocked out. But still, I, I think I love the Patriots at minus three and a half, and I'd probably hop on that early because the line could move if, if Darnold's ruled out. I agree with a lot of what you said, Henry. Their, their speed on defense definitely worries me a little bit. And, you know, I think people want to call this a trap game, and maybe it is. I mean, it's, it's tough being a road favorite by more than three points. So, I mean, maybe it's a trap game, but I'm looking at the total, 40 and a half. So that means the prognosticators are thinking this is going to be a very low-scoring game. Um, I'm not going to bet this number because it's very low. I think it's come down a little bit from 43. 40 and a half is a low number. I'm not betting it, but if I had to lean one way, I would probably lean towards the under because I see a physical, defensive-minded game coming with a lot of rushes and a lot of field goals, kind of like you said, 17 to 10, something like that, you know, 20 to 13, something like that. I I think that's the kind of game we're going to get. So um, I would lean under, but I'm not touching the total. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you bet the Patriots to cover and you do not bet the that line because if there's i mean we've been inconsistent about giving betting advice this entire season but if there's anything bad (laughs) yeah i think if there's anything that you can feel inconsistent about in guessing is like is like where scores are going to go with this patriots team i mean they've actually like tended to go above because they score a little bit more than people are anticipating They, they get like in the game a little bit more than people are anticipating um, but now I think people are, I think Vegas and the sports books have probably wised up to the fact that the Patriots are a little bit more feisty of an opponent than people anticipate. Um, and so maybe they're going to, you know, score some more points, but you know, me always, always ready to step away from a bet. So that's the one I would step away from and just take, I, if you took my advice to take the Patriots straight up last week, you probably made good money. So no doubt. Yeah. And, and we, I was going to say, you got to give ourselves credit because we were both on the Patriots last week. Five and a half. I just thought that was the bet of the week. I just thought that one just jumped off the page. I'm like, Patriots five and a half going to LA. I love them at that number. 
but the good news is, is I think we have a season. That's the good news. We beat a real team. No longer can people like you tell me that uh, we've only beaten the Jets and the Texans. We now have a real win, and we have a season to cover. So I'm here for it, man. It's perfect. Yeah, I just hope I hope they get a win over Carolina, so like so that we don't drop into a situation where we're like, oh God, we were believing in this team, and then we were not. Yeah. Next week, it's, so, we don't have a season see. anymore. We lost to Carolina, so yeah, exactly. That could, I mean, like, be, that could easily be how I start it next week. We will find out. For Henry, <laughs> I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.